0: Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have another legend of a guest. It is Ryan from the most popular, most famous YouTube channel, Life in Bamboo. Now, Ryan's just down for the week. He's going to be doing some crazy videos, I guess not that crazy, filming different land for sale. We're going to be going to visit one of the the guests that have been on a previous episode. It is Wade Lethem and visiting his farm and seeing all the issues and what's going on there. If you want to know who we are, we are Fruiting Body Mushrooms. We're doing all-natural, non-GMO, organic Supplements like Lion's Mane, Reishi, Cordyceps. I'll leave a link in the description for our viewers as well. I think there's a bit of a discount. Go check that out. Uh, it is only on Lazada at the moment. Soon we will bring it on Shopify to the U.S. Uh, we're just waiting on Hans's brother to get that all up and running. Now, if you're tired of listening to me ramble, we got timestamps below so you can navigate this episode um, by the chapters. And I'm sure a lot of the fans watching this are from ryan's channel because i don't really have any so <laughs> <laughs> it's growing yeah, it's growing growing it's slowly process. so if you are from ryan's channel go down hit the subscribe button hit that bell um we're very diverse in the guests that come on here we're trying to keep it uh, very rangy instead of too specific so without further ado let's get this podcast started Thanks a lot, Ryan, for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Perfect. Now, in case people aren't aware how we do it on the Fruiting Body podcast, it is purely we want to tell the story of expats living in Thailand and really get into the nitty gritty of what even brought you here. Because I think a lot of people are interested in how these specific people that are living in Thailand, how did they even get here? So could you just start it off on day one, even prior to coming to Thailand? Ryan, where are you from? What's your story?
1: So uh, originally born in Bolton, grew up in quite um, a, a tumultuous time as a child. Um, I won't go into deep into my childhood, but it was, uh, it wasn't exactly stable. And I, I mentioned this because the underpinnings of where I'm going to go with this story. Um, but, but good mom and dad, you know, working class family from Bolton. Um, and I, I guess, you know, my story of Thailand really began um, at university, So I started a number of little companies at university. I used to manage nightclubs there. I started a marketing company there and very sociable, um, very entrepreneurial role. And so when I graduated uh, from university, I just left. Um, I just left um, my university town, Lancaster, and uh, I went to run a nightclub down in Cambridge. And you could say at around 25, 26, um, Sorry, about it was much, much younger actually, about 20. I was at uh, the peak of my career uh, in the nightclub business. I was running this club in Cambridge and um, one day I just felt like if I was going to stay in that job in Cambridge at the peak of my career at 20 years old, that I'd be stuck there forever. That, I would, that this would be my life forever in the corporate world. Um, although it was a fun job, you know, it was running nightclubs, it was very social. Um, I just felt like the map was already laid out in front of me. And um, I felt a calling, and that calling was to come to Thailand. And so 15 years ago, it seems like a long, long time ago now, I walked out of that job in Cambridge. And I said to my colleague, um, I'm leaving. and She said, will you get me a tuna sandwich? because she thought i was going to tesco but i said no i'm leaving to thailand and i don't know why thailand i don't know what reason what reason motivated me it was just a, a call from within to originally go and travel you know i didn't think oh i'll, I'll go to thailand i'll be a 15 year expat it was really just to at first travel see the world you know you know it's that i talk about this a lot on my channel but I, I believe that there's a call in every human heart to go on an adventure. And it's very much Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. I think there's a call within us all to go on a, a, an adventure. And, and the best way I can describe it is that call. I ended up here 15 years doing a lot of different stuff. I worked in corporate here for a while. I started a jazz lounge in Hoi Hin. I'm a saxophone player. I built two English schools, one in uh, Hoi Hin, one in Ratchabree. So I ended up, again, getting myself, following the hero's journey, coming to Thailand, falling in love with this country, learning the language, loving the people, loving the culture, feeling more at home here than I'd ever felt anywhere else in, in the world. And I, did, I stopped into Nepal, I stopped into Cambodia, I stopped into Lala, all those places. You do the backpacking trail, right? But here there was just something about it that made me feel very much uh, at home. And then I ended up getting into corporate again. You know, the pull of the entrepreneur is when you are a very, it's a blessing and a curse, but if you're a very creative person, um, you you want to create, you want to create things, you want to work for yourself. And starting my English schools and then my jazz lounge, I found myself, again, uh, working really hard, working all hours as entrepreneurs do. You know, they say entrepreneurs work seven days a week, so they don't have to work five days a week. And that's true of entrepreneurs. And then I was hired by um, Bill Heineke from Anantara Hotels. And um, I also had to work up and uh, in a position there. And I became a senior manager for Anantara Vacation Club. Um, now, this company is minor, so it's one of the biggest uh, hotels in Thailand and in Asia. And then I also... Um, then moved into building the coffee club in, in Bali. So uh, I took the coffee club brand from Thailand and moved it into Bali. Then again, I'm, I'm there again at the peak of my career, working really hard in corporate, um, feeling trapped, feeling depressed, feeling um, a prisoner of my own success, feeling empty, um, not particularly in a, position, in a position where I end a lot of money, but not in a position really where I was able to be kind of creative or I felt a, an epic sense of, of freedom to be who I felt I really was. Um, I, 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 after that, um, I walked away. I walked away um, from that and became a YouTuber. But I'm the most unlikely YouTuber that you would ever imagine because my personality is not suited as such to social media or being famous or people knowing you like, even when I walk down the street here to somebody that watches the channel, and they're like, hey, dude, Naked Guru. Um, but it's, it isn't my personality to be on YouTube. I'm the most unsuspecting person that you would expect to be in the public eye, because I'm a very private person, and I'm introvert. And so I I'd walked away from the career, and now I'm, I do YouTube. I have my channels, Life in Bamboo and the Naked Guru, which some people will be familiar with. My channels are Very much, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a Thailand vlogger. I get lumped in with a lot of Thailand vloggers. I vlog in in Thailand, but that's a circumstantial facet of my location.
0: Um, It's like a specific niche of your content to your lifestyle and other people living that. I think before we just jump right into that, that whole transition in the process um, from, again, leaving another corporate job, was that another, hey, I'm going to get a tuna sandwich?
1: Oh, man. In the second time when I was called to leave the corporate job, I was so sick, mentally and physically sick. Um, I was getting pain inside the body. Uh, I literally couldn't tolerate going to it anymore because I think that once you've had a taste of, of, of freedom, life is short. And you really have to follow your dreams. You can't say, I'm just going to wait until I'm 65 and I'm retired, and then I'll go and follow my dreams. Some people have to do that. I'm very aware of like people's situations where they're stuck in certain circumstances, socioeconomic st- circumstances or whatnot, where they are stuck, and they can't just go and follow the hero's journey. They've got families and stuff. But for somebody that has the ability to, uh, to then hold yourself in one location, uh, the body will become sick and the mind will become sick because you're not following your dharma, your karma, your mission of in life of what you're supposed to be doing you know how are you the biggest benefit to humanity in 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 what you're doing is it being a corporate executive on a high salary you know running a small team of people as empathic empathetically and as compassionately as i did run my teams uh, with a deep sense of our humanness and our shared um equality uh, you know, when you're in upper management, that's lost sometimes. Um, but e- even doing that, I, I felt like I needed to do something beyond that. And I didn't know what I was being called to do. And, and I still don't know what I'm called to do in, in life. But my, my purpose and my dharma um, seems to be very much more in line with what I'm doing now. And my health issues were solved immediately. I no more hospital visits after visiting the hospital three times a week for weeks and months on end. When I was in corporate,
0: um, was it just the stress and your body was run down?
1: Well, I mean, we looked at all kinds of things. We did CT, we did MRI, we did, we did, we looked into everything, and the doctors said, "We don't, we don't know what, what this is. It's a very uh, specific pain in the in the abdomen," and um, but it completely lifted once once I I walked away and, and began and continued doing what I'm what I'm doing now.
0: Uh, Just a quick shout out to five star Marine and Sean Stenning. five star Marine. They're our sponsor on this podcast. So they're just helping us with the production and allowing us to make this content on a week to week basis to give it back to you guys, telling you these stories about people living, not just in Phuket, but in Thailand. Uh, If you want to go check them out, it's on Instagram at five star Marine Phuket. Uh, And we'll also leave links in the description a little bit about who they are. They are a VIP private char- uh, speedboat chartered tour on the island of Phuket. So they're taking you to places like Kolipe, Krabi, Pongna Bay. Uh, you have complete control over your own trip, which most of other services are not authoring that up. Oh, sorry, offering that. So Hans will probably throw up a QR code. You can scan that as well, or links are in the, in the descriptions, go check them out, let them know if we sent you there, it just helps us grow this podcast. So let's get back to the podcast. But when you're, when you're walking away in that transition, you're walking away. I mean, the reality is money. It's, it's what's keeping, it's the energy that keeps us alive. We need that to be able to purchase stuff at the supermarket, to live our lives, to pay for rent. When you're leaving that world, was the YouTube already set up to financially keep you prepared or how was that transition? How did that work?
1: Well, um, on, on this occasion, uh, post COVID, I went back to work. So I'd set the channel up during COVID where we kind of, uh, for anybody that doesn't know the channel, we like build, we built bamboo, uh, bamboo huts and we lived in them. We've been developing our land as a family. Um, and it's just living in rural Thailand, quite an alternative lifestyle but my plan was always to go back to work. And uh, and that was the long-term goals. So it was when I went back, uh, that's when all the health system, uh, the health issues flared up. And it was very much like, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be, um, whatever you were doing before during COVID, when we had this moment of freedom, where you could kind of just do whatever you wanted. And I thought the world was gonna end. I think a lot of people had that in the back of their mind, that this is it guys, this is survival. Um, that was um, that was what I was supposed to be doing. So I left and I went back to it.
0: Now you you start the channel. The channel is an immediate success. What was the intention?
1: Well, I originally started the Naked Guru as a podcast, a lot like this, and that was years ago, um, years before even COVID. And I was talking to people like Rupert Sheldrake and reach out to Dennis McKenna and and the. The main story behind that is when I worked in the nightclub business, um, I became an alcoholic. It's a, it's a symptom of that industry. Landlords and um, people that work in that industry, it, it's the alcohol is a big part of your life. Every day you drink with with somebody, and maybe they're only drinking at the weekend, but then on Monday, Tuesday there's somebody else to drink with. And I was like a host manager, so my job was to drink and have champagne with the celebs in in the UK and stuff, and treat the DJs, and it was a party lifestyle. So that was the, the basis, along with some childhood stuff, of my original uh, development of alcoholism. Thailand took that to an extreme, because anybody kn- knows here, it's like, anybody knows Thailand, knows that it's very easy to treat it like a, an everyday holiday, and it's a pitfall of becoming an expat. It's a pitfall of living here because you've got the beautiful beaches, you've got people, you've got social environments. And so um, this wasn't the main reason, but the the medium, the environment that I was in, having a jazz lounge and playing saxophone on stage every night, uh, it just led to um, a deeper and deeper uh, falling into my addiction. And alcoholism is a very uh, strange phenomenon because people think if you're an alcoholic, you are like in the gutter, like you're wasted all the time like you've got no money you you're um you've lost control of your life in some way but alcoholism affects different people in different ways and i was a very high functioning alcoholic which means that you wouldn't even know that i'd had a bottle of whiskey in the evening you know and um and i was very sociable very happy able to perform able to run my business on the outside nobody would know until one day something snapped and it it was like the roles were um, reversed. I became the slave to alcohol. And um, actually, I saw at that point in time, we'd had discussions with my family that that was it. I've, I was going to die because I was getting a swollen liver. I was two or three times this weight. And um, and so I was kind of preparing for the end until uh, I had an experience with um, psilocybin mushrooms, which allowed me, in, in that experience, my degree was in psychology. So I had quite a basis in understanding Jungian psychology, Freudian psychology, understanding uh, religion. Jung talked a lot about religion and, and some spiritual esoteric grounding. Um, but when I first, when I had this experience, it was like an out-of-body experience. It was a little bit like Ebenezer Scrooge meeting the three ghosts, who told me, like, you're a bit of an asshole, dude. Like your ego is inflated to a a crazy extent. You're obviously addicted. You're not um, being beneficial or helpful to people within your your life. And in this one experience over a number of hours, I'm sure many people have had it. Some people won't have. But if you want to know more about it, Johns Hopkins University Research, of course. Through through that experience, I was able to undergo what I see now as like a death and rebirth experience. And from that day, I, I didn't need to drink again. I didn't need to smoke again and overcame the alcoholism. And that's when, um, from from that moment, I knew I wanted to talk about this and I knew I wanted to get that to a wider audience of, of other people. And that's why I started the podcast. Uh, later, that podcast, which wasn't very successful and didn't go very far because you're talking about stuff that not everybody resonates with, not everybody even knows about. This was 10 years ago, you know, so it, it wasn't as it wasn't as popular as it is now to talk about psychedelics and entheogens. And, um, and so in the end, I turned the camera on myself and my family, um, my little boy, and what we're building in rural Thailand. Um, and that seemed way more successful. In fact, as soon as I turned the camera on not only what is it to use entheogens and psychedelics and what is the academic thing, the academic side, and what do the scientific papers say. That's all nice. It's theory. But what does it look like in practice? What does a life of somebody that's trying to live to certain ethical standards, is trying to break free from their addictions, is trying to um, live a compassionate and free life, what does it look like? You know, What does the entheogenic root Where does it take you? And the vlog has really been my journey through that. And of course I pointed the camera on buying land and I want to help expats become expats. And a lot of it's to do with being a father to my son and what is that relationship? Like I often say that most serial killers, they were raped as children, they were molested, they were beaten. And so if if a child that is raped and beaten and tortured produces a serial killer, what does a child that is loved and cherished and, and paid attention to produce? And that's my experiment with my son. It's two opposite poles of the yin and yang, right? Mm-hmm. You get a serial kill at the end of one line. What do you get with pure compassion and attention? And I demonstrate that not as a, a as a as an action, as a fake kind of thing. I'm vlogging our real life and our real interaction. And, and I think that's what's poignant for a lot of people people watch it for different reasons some people want to watch it because they're an expat they want to move to thailand some people watch it because of my relationship with my son some people watch it because they're interested in thailand um the, the viewer base is is very varied some people watch it because they're interested in theogens and and they like that message so it's a real mixed base um, and now i don't talk too much on the channel about mushrooms and theogens and how they can help with addiction but i'll tend to slip it in there where i can
0: how did you initially come across the introduction to psilocybin? And as a two part question, when you were introduced, was it an immediate acceptance or did it take some time to say, okay, I'm going to give that a go?
1: Well, it was an accident. So I was in Cambodia and in the peak of my alcoholism knocking on death's door, literally, um, turning yellow. And I was—I rented a villa and we're having a party. And we're all getting together and we're all going to party. And uh, somebody brought some along and I thought, we'll I'll do this to party. And then it wasn't a party. It was a, a rip rip out of your body. It's time to face uh, the music of your own karma and um, and really evaluate yourself, look at yourself. Not in a, in a negative way. The trip wasn't in, in any way negative. It was very, very powerful because it was a very high dose. Um, it, it wasn't negative. It was very cathartic and... As many of these trips are, there's a lot of crying involved, a lot of release of emotion, pent-up emotion. When you go deep, deep into addiction, it's not because you're wrong in any way or you're doing something wrong. It's part of your path. Everybody's on the path. There's nobody that's not on the path. You can't not be on the path, even if you're deeply addicted, you're an alcoholic, whatever. It's often a product of unresolved issues deep within the subconscious that you can't access. And what I come to find out is the second part of your question is... My initial experience with it made so much sense because of my psychology degree. I studied therapy. I'd studied how, to, how, the, how the mind works for years. And, um, and so it, Jung made a lot of sense to me. If you read Jung, Jung managed to achieve his insight on the nature of the self and who we really are, who you really are, who I really am, without any entheogens at all. So it was when I mix entheogens with Jung, that was a powerful combination where I thought this, this is unbelievably life-changing for me and for everybody else. I mean, this, the, the data is out there. You know, the meta-analysis of people that were addicted and have, t- have taken psilocybin or LSD on a high dose, it's got like an 80% success rate in curing addiction. It doesn't, it doesn't cure addiction by saying, hey, you stop drinking, you're an arsehole. It, it, it stops drinking because the reason that you drink is for the, from the unresolved trauma. So you're healing the underlying trauma and you don't need the drink anymore. Drinking is just like meditation. Meditation is the cessation of thinking. So what do you do when you drink? It's cessation of thinking. It's it's like cheap and quick meditation. So the, the alcoholic's pursuit is a pursuit, is a spiritual journey. It's a pursuit of mental extrication from their their predicament, which and, and their mental environment, which is very much predicated on their childhood. Mm -hmm. so it's what happened to me as a child or what trauma did I undergo in in the majority of cases not in all cases nothing i say applies to everybody but um and then the psychedelic is the key that opens the door to resolve the trauma if you're successful with it under the correct conditions and so once once i saw what it was that it wasn't a drug then i i pursued it and you pursued you start with terence mckenna aldous huxley uh albert hoffman right and um and you find out whoa there's a whole load of people talking about this ram Das, for instance richard alpert who wrote the psychedelic experience with timothy leary um ram Das, richard alpert was a psychologist so and uh, he had already uh, a background in the pursuit of to know oneself that's what psychology is it's the study, psych is mind, ology is the study of, the study of the mind. And um, what is the but the mind? It's all mind. So it's the study of yourself. And I think people that are drawn to, to study psychology, to learn about serial killers, to learn about themselves and who they are, I think they, they um, have got a predisposition to uh, to working with entheogens because the revelation that happens with them is, is extraordinary. If you already have a, a theor- theological basis, it's extraordinary. And to find other people like these guys that have been saying this for years, long before I accidentally discovered it, is very comforting at a time where you go through, there's a lot of grief in death through psychedelics, because death is a a psychological phenomenon. you come to find it's only a psychological phenomenon because all matter exists. A first law of thermodynamics, energy can't be created or destroyed. All matter exists indefinitely. The energy exists. But the psychological construct that you call I, that's what dies. And so death is only ever a, a, a psychological
0: so phenomenon. This person, uh, of, let's say the, uh, Ryan, the alcoholic from the past, does yeah. he die or transform? D-
1: dies. I mean, it's subjective what you mean by each one. Because of course, like the fundamental psychology, the the fundamental psychology still exists. And although um, within theogens you can have that peak where you you undergo the death rebirth, but you're coming back into into Ryan. So it is a transformation process. But I've seen it. I've seen the the process for me has been a process of iterated death and rebirth, because what's reborn after the alcoholic Ryan is the spiritual Ryan. But the spiritual ryan is just as much an illusion as the alcoholic ryan was. Because one says, okay, I've undergone the death and rebirth experience the first time, which I didn't know you could even do. So I realized the illusion of who I thought I was. So now who am I? Well, I must be some really spiritual guru, right? I am enlightened. That's just more bullshit. And that's why I called the channel the naked guru. Because the realization after the next death and rebirth is that you're not that either. And that continues on an iterative process until I guess it's into nobodiness. And it's not good to go into nobodiness when you're on YouTube mm. because they call it YouTube, you know, YouTube and Facebook. These are all egotistical constructs, they're expansions of the ego in many ways. It's like your personality is um, fired out to, in my case, hundreds of thousands of people who then get to judge you, you know.
0: But this, this, that's past Ryan, does he ever try to creep back in and transform himself or bring himself back? Are you able to, do you hear that, that voice of him trying to come? Are you able to block him or is he completely gone now?
1: I, I don't think you can block. I don't think it's a good idea to ever repress what, what is there, but the process, as I mentioned, the process involves a lot of grief. So who you were dies and your friendship circles often die and certain friendships fade away and, and, things that you used to like fade away. And there's a lot of grief there for that. And, and so you relapse sometimes. It's very natural for an alcoholic to have slips and to, to relapse, especially in the early years. But, you know, the, the more you work with, with yourself on a day-to-day basis to how am I going to make positive change within my life that is, is going to bring structure and balance and equality in my life, um, and you work with the medicines as well, the iterated process of death and rebirth, the further away you get from the initial ego, the, the less power it has. You know, I would never even consider having a drink now. It would completely ruin my high because I'm high already we, we, without it. Like the amount of light and bliss I feel on a day-to-day basis is, it doesn't compare to what alcohol could do for me anymore. But you've got to go through the process. I'm very thankful to alcohol. It made me very social, made me an extrovert, made me do amazing things, add amazing things on it, but it became a crutch for my neurosis and my psychological issues, you know, which, which today I'm not a finished product. And that's what I have to show on the channel, which is very vulnerable sometimes because you're telling people quite openly about things that you don't usually talk about in society, that yes, I'm depressed. Fuck this guy. How can he be depressed? He has a beautiful wife and a beautiful house and he has a nice piece of land. He's got everything in, in, in life. How dare he be depressed? But the fact is that you, you, you are. And by me pretending that I'm not to be a YouTuber is, is a lie to the world and a lie to myself. It's insincere and it doesn't help anybody because what it says is, hey, look at me on YouTube. My life is completely perfect. And if yours is shit, it's your fault. Or, or you should aspire to be something like me, you know? But that's from a point of illusion. It, it's it's a facade, it's, it's fake. And it's very tempting to do it on YouTube. I'd much prefer to sell a channel of me as some very kind of confident go getter that that's constantly happy that never has any problem. That would be great. It'd be a great image. I just wouldn't be able to live up to it.
0: Mm. Do you, 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 mentioned the word I caught out of there, the finished product. Um, coming back to the, the world of psilocybin and that experience, it can be, and especially ayahuasca, it can be very motherly and, and it's more that feeling of earth and Gaia. Mm-hmm. Um, Personally, I don't believe in the finished product. How can you be a finished product in a circle? Is that a misuse of words? Is there a finished product of Ryan or is there never a finished product and the path goes forever?
1: I don't know. Like and and that's the thing with the path, and that's the thing difficult difficult part about YouTube is that it's an ongoing process. So on YouTube you may change your mind. I may say, I'm gonna go and do this, and everyone's like, Oh, that's gonna be interesting. And then you change your mind because your dharma is leading you in a different direction. Like, I didn't know I'd be living in a bamboo hut in rural Thailand. It's the the whole thing to me is like a school, it's like a lesson. And you just get shown the same shit again and again, and karma will slap your ass down until you get it. You know, if you wanna pick the, the bottle up again and go that way you can because you're a free being in an infinite universe, you know. You, you can choose that way and you'll learn that way. Or you can choose, you know what, I'm done with that karma, uh, what's next? And it's not like, oh, I'm finished, because every single time I finish, like I've I quit smoking, drinking, sugar, coffee, you know, I might as well quit sex next, you know. Um, it's every time then there's something else that you're going to get hit with. Because you're not allowed to, everything's the process of evolution, personal evolution and collective evolution. And the constant question is, how can I be better? How can I do better in, uh, to, to, a, to my family, to humanity as a whole? Um, you don't have to have that big a lofty goal, but how can I just be better bit by bit, increment by increment? If it starts with quitting smoking or stopping stealing or stopping shoplifting or stopping doing something that, you know, has a negative impact on your life. That's where you start and you take baby steps towards it. I think that the end is, I, I don't know that there's an end because I don't believe in enlightenment as a final stage. I think it's a its a verb. So it's enlightening. It's a continuous thing. There's no end to the universe. So why should there be an, an end to my process? But I think that we move closer. We walk closer to self by recognizing our shared identity that the the the, illu- the illusion of the individual is just a fiction who you think you are isn't real of course there is no such thing as uh, uh, england or germany or a country these are all just lines that we've drawn on the planet you know all this separation that we create and we make um is all maya all illusion and so i think from a hindu perspective especially you're walking back to the idea of our shared identity beyond the illusion of the individual and that's what that's the perspective I try and maintain a lot now is if I'm talking to somebody or, or interacting with somebody, it's the recognition that we share a, a shared identity. That's compassion ultimately. Where where does it go for me in the world? Like, and how do I I put that to some like positive use? I think I'm just demonstrating love as a father to my son, as a provider to my family like in my very small way. Like my YouTube channel is, is really nothing. It's a, it's a big channel in some context, but I don't put it as like, oh, look, at, this is amazing. I'm changing the world with this. I'm just pointing a camera at me with my family, you know? And that, that I get emails about, that I get comments about people like from Singapore. Some old lady in Singapore messaged me and she's like, I have nothing in my life but to watch you interact with your kid because her children have passed away. And she said she watches it for that. So if that's the difference that I'm making with the channel in some positive way, or I inspire somebody to come and live in Thailand, or I inspire somebody to say, I'm going to quit drinking and I'm going to use the medicines that may be available to me to do that, then then my mission is complete. And that kind of shit just breaks me down, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think... When you're creating those channels and you, it's hard to just have a goal, I don't really think you determine the goal of what your audience is going to feel. Mm. The, it, there could be endless goals if you have fifty thousand people in theory watching it. There could be fifty thousand goals from each person. What What is the goal for you? Like, what is next? Do you, I recently watched one of your videos and you're talking. I think the farm's done. I think we're here. <laughs> so. As someone, would you consider yourself extreme and jumping from extremity to extremity and kind of diving all in and, and to expand on that, like as things start to come to fruition or to the point of maybe this is the end of the line, what's next? Is, is there something knocking on the door for you of, I want to pursue what is next?
1: The process of coming back to self and the shared self is also a process of coming back to presence. So it's not projecting to a future and saying I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to I'm going to it's going to be like this, it's going to be like that. I made that mistake so many times in my life. That I built so many mental prisons that way. When I was in corporate, I thought I'll never be able to leave here because I earn so much money and I'm going to be at the top of this company in a few years. I I, was, I had a, a route to the top. And but I built a prison in that. This projection into a future of me in a suit in, in Bangkok you know and I, th- I, I felt like a prison in the end and so you're not dwelling in, in the projection of the future and you're not dwelling in in the past like I can't even remember what I did two days ago because it just I just don't need to replay anything from there it, it, it is irrelevant the mental movie of the past so it's a movement into presence you know like Urquhart Toll talks a lot about it, the movement into presence and so from that point when you're in presence you make the decision then. I don't make the decision now for, oh, this is what I'm going to do for this. Of course, you can make brief trips and plan. Okay, I'm going to vlog a little bit about land. But that was only because in the present moment, I did a video about land and people really liked it. So in that present moment, it felt right. You reached out to me on Instagram. You know, I read your message and your energy and what you're doing felt very right for the channel. You know, I really, I, I don't really... Um, I have nothing to get out of it It, it, it's more like a a passion that we share for for the mushroom and so that felt right And so whatever feels right intuitively in the moment that's the call that's the also it's the hero's journey because the hero's journey is a circle yeah you start where you are you're in a terrible predicament usually you go off you leave everything that you know you go into the depths of despair on and you learn and you fight the dragon and then you come back up again And you're back where you started again, right? And that is a physical journey, travel. Okay, that's great. It's a mental journey. You know that's the psychedelic experience too. You're not going seeing rainbows and unicorns and the psychedelic experience if you're doing it properly. You're going into the depths of your own mind and your own mind is fucking horror because all of the heaven
0: realms, all of the hell realms exist within your own mind. So do you think that that journey instead of it being a full circle is maybe more like a Fibonacci sequence? Well, I, I As in, like, you're not closing the you loop. You never close the yeah, you, loop. You, like, if it's here, you don't touch here. You kind of pass, and then you come past. It's
1: a spiral, mm. and, and you're going around and around and around that. So every journey, even this me coming to see you, it's another little hero's journey. It's getting out of the comfort zone, doing something that is not massively comfortable to me to interview on topics like this. Um, but, but it's another little hero's journey, and it's the same call that made me leave my corporate job That following that call, it's sometimes you know your shit is so hard that you can't hear it. Like you've got family pressures, you've got bills. You're a single mom working three jobs to make ends meet. You ain't got no time for no hero's journey call. You know what I mean? I can't be complacent or flippant with with it because it doesn't apply to everybody. But when you've got clear opportunity, and you've got a body, you're blessed with a healthy body, and maybe you've got a bit of money in your pocket, a few hundred dollars, and you don't have any ties. Maybe you got yourself debt free, which is something I talk about a lot in the channel as a spiritual principle to freedom. Getting yourself debt free is a spiritual move, not only a financial move. But when you've got that opportunity and you hear the call, you have an obligation to take it. Because I think, I think the universe works in a way that it will crush you if you don't. It crush you because I felt it. I felt like I was being crushed under the weight of not following the call. And that, that's, that's just been my karma, that's been my dharma to, to do that kind of and stuff. And as, as
0: you pass this knowledge and information on onto your, your children as well, I mean, you're putting them on that, that right path at such a young, young age. We Not looking too far into the future, but again, focusing on the presence. This is probably, this is your objective, this is your whole life, this is your real path, the future of your children. Where do you see them going with your, you on this journey, and where could that lead to? It's a very open-ended question. Well, firstly,
1: you know, if if I practice what I preach, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. My business is in the present moment to provide love and attention, particularly for children. And having studied psych, child psychology, also, attention. What is attentionness? Uh, attention. Attention is consciousness. Attention is directed consciousness. What are we at the deepest level? you know, beyond the identity, beyond the ego, behind what the Hindu principles point to is consciousness, Atman. You know, the Buddhist is just the same, but switch the other way. It's just emptiness, empty consciousness. And so what children want most is your presence and your consciousness in the moment. And through that, you can trust the universe to do its, its thing. I, I trust in that process that I know that if he's got the love and attention, that he'll make mistakes and that he'll maybe, he'll maybe go off and be a drug addict at some point. That's his karma. It's none of my business. Like, he, I'm, I, I'm a temporary custodian of this incarnation, uh, j- just as I'm a temporary incarnation here. You know, you start to look at things. Um, you know, the more I work with the medicine, the, the, the more in my day-to-day life without medicine, for, for maybe a, over a year now, maybe over a year, you start to see things from the perspective of, oneness like my son is me he is he is the universe incarnate clearly you know what else is he made of he's made of the universe that's what this body's made of you know as is my body so i I see it as like it's one soul incarnating in multiple souls and this is one birth that i've taken and that's one birth my son's taken and I, i i feel as though he's got his own karma and so it's none of my business to direct him or try and push him anyway way in one direction or another, it's my job to present options to him where he may fall in love with something. So he's just learning piano at the moment. So I, I present options where he's like, I love this. But that's very varied. Like it's sport, it's computers, it's music. And then he'll find something he loves and that'll be his, his path. So that's, that's the way I, I see it on a, on a day-to-day basis. I'm not saying I'm right. And I'm not saying I'm the best father in the world. Not saying, like, listen, this is how it is. I'm just saying how I see it. And I'm a bit weird.
0: Do you have a lot of backlash from maybe friends and family back home that question this lifestyle?
1: No, in, in fact, I think it's the opposite. I think that they, in many ways, wish they could do something similar. And of course, they could. But what stops people from doing it? is the mental prisons and constructs that we make. Do you think
0: COVID helped push that and people realize like, wait a minute, like for example, if you took homeschooling and this lifestyle 20 years ago,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. people, the the, the mentality of the human civilization in general, they they pushed that back. They said, well, well, you got to go to the government schools. You got to live this lifestyle. You got to do this. Do you, again, going back to that question, do you feel that COVID has actually opened up everyone's eyes to wait a minute This world is so precious and could end any day, and maybe it is better to take control of your own life.
1: Yeah, and it's a temporary cessation of the illusion. You know, when you start to discover who you really are at the deepest level, that is a stripping away of everything that you're not and everything that is not. It's like, for example, a 20-pound note. is a 20-pound note just because we have a collective agreement that it is, that it has a value. But if I took it to a tribe in Africa and tried to pay for something there... They just laugh at me because they don't have a collective agreement that twenty pound note is a twenty pound note. Apply that to all of our systems and our culture: the nine to five work, the mortgage, they're getting the debt, they're getting the credit card, the things that we do: school, college, university. You apply that to everything. You start to see shit. It is an illusion, and COVID was this ripping away temporarily of like you know pull the skirt up and what do you see? It's it's an, a bare naked ass. <laughs> it's um I think people. You know, a lot of the spiritual communities, the New Age communities, were like, "This is this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. It's the it's the mass awakening." And I think for some people, it was. Some people woke up and was like, "Shit, actually, we don't need to do this, and we can work from home, and we can do our own thing, and we don't have to be slaves to corporations." And some people didn't have the opportunity to choose otherwise. Um, but it's it, it's it's that until it's the next thing, mm. you know, it, the the death and rebirth in the individual body, is at one level, but the collective death and rebirth is another level. Just look at the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and each of the, the decades that go on, how the whole collective changes. like. It was one way in the 1920s and now it's the 1970s and now it is now. That's a collective death and rebirth.
0: Is Where, that collective death and rebirth, or just the, of those areas, are they programmed by the upper, I don't know, I don't want to say that word, Illuminati, but let's say, are they being programmed by the world or are they collectively program, programming themselves? I don't know, dude. Did you get my question there?
1: I, I don't know. But, I mean, yeah. it's far too complicated to be, for me to even assume that. Like, I'm still working with my personal, <laughs> trying to make sense of my own personal death and rebirth. Like, as far as I know, death and rebirth is a psychological construct that you can, that you'll go through when you physically die, or you can initiate it yourself in this body. So I don't know about any any anything
0: well, like that. Uh, to, let's jump on to a lighter night for the for the your <laughs> your followers that are gonna be watching. And some of the filming we're gonna be doing um today, essentially, with we're going to Wade's farm and probably they might have even seen this episode. When when are we gonna air this? Probably next Tuesday. So actually, this will probably be out before that content comes mm-hmm. out. When you're putting this content Together, like most YouTubers, that's what's good about my podcast. We don't really follow any formulas because when you're podcasting, you just genuinely will bring on the people you want to talk to. Mm -hmm. But when you are getting involved in YouTube, sometimes the YouTube algorithms and gods begin to dictate the content. And today may be one of those cases where your content is doing so well of land for sale and and this will, I'm assuming, will all kind of build into that. So to jump more into my question of that content we're filming today and the future of your YouTube channel, what percentage is dictated by your passion and what percentage is dictated by the YouTube gods telling you what's good?
1: It's about 80-20 because the majority of the YouTube is not like me and my son don't plan to play and then film it. Me and my wife don't plan to, this is what we're going to do. We're just kind of filming what we're doing. Are we capturing Thai people living in, in the village like making coconut cookies and snacks and things, you know, whatever. That's what we're capturing. So we're just capturing as it is. So the majority is, is not planned and 80% of it is like that. The other 20% I'm doing as a, an offering because a lot of people have this dream of doing this and they, they watch this stuff. And even if they're never going to do it, just, how, just, just running through the process of that dream to mentally escape for a little while... I think that's beneficial. I think it's, it's good. I get loads of people reach out to me and say, thanks for doing these budget videos, which I don't want to do. I don't tell people how much I spend in a restaurant. I don't want to tell people how much my bills are and stuff like that. But I do because then they can plan accordingly, whether it's for retirement, whether it's for, for they just want to escape the matrix. It's um And so I see that as a service. It's my weird way of service. Because, you know, the more you... You work with intelligence too, the more you ask the question, how can I be of service? That's how I am. I feel I'm of service. And it's about 20%.
0: And, and it's kind of going back to what you said earlier. If if I am you and you are me, are you not just servicing yourself? Yeah. Well, you got it. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Um, we're gonna we're probably gonna wrap this up any minute. How are we? It's mostly 50 minutes. Oh, okay, perfect. So we'll go another like 10, 15. It's uh, just mostly we want to make sure we, we're going to be meeting Wade today, and we got a whole social media team. We want to make sure it's it's done properly, uh-huh. and, and you never know with the rain here, but uh, the the rain sometimes is good. The mushrooms are coming. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, let, let's focus back on the psilocybin, and we had this discussion quite uh, in depth back and forth. And I love the fact you're a voice note guy. Hans hates that I'm a voice note guy because it just makes conversation for me. I can't type out my, what I want to get out sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, So we've gone back and forth about, you know, once you get the message, hang up. And I've explained to myself that uh, with the psilocybin, I've gotten the message. I've seen that movie, Um, even though I'm, I'm passionate about it. And I genuinely like to go foraging to service others and, and give it away for free. I've got that message. Can you speak on that on your on yourself? Your, the message received from your ethnogens and now where are you at at, at this certain place in your life?
1: I, I feel like a lot of it is to do with the extent of the trauma. So what is the extent of the childhood trauma? In many cases, if you had a relatively nice upbringing and you know, things were cool and you had love in the, in the family and things like that. Maybe you have a little less work to do than someone, say, that was raped as a child by a family member. And so I feel that the, the process may take longer the more you're kind of working through. And you must be disciplined. You mustn't, but in my opinion, you must be disciplined in that you don't just take LSD every day, like you don't have to take mushrooms every day. Give some space for integration in between. But I think then you know when the process is over uh, or it, or it's... It's no longer required because you require a medicine when you're sick. You don't require a medicine when you're not sick. And if you take the medicine when you're not sick, you're going to get sick because that's just the way it works, right? And so I think you get to, uh, I've been at points where I feel, no, I just don't need this. I'm going back to the same realization. So the same fundamental realization that, oh, yes, it's all one. Yeah, you know this. You know, last time you got this message, you know, whatever you're working with DMT, very powerful. Going back to the same, oh yeah, there's these interdimensional landscapes that you can hop from one to another. And there's these entities there that are going to greet you and, and, and talk with you and give you a download and, and say, use this in your life, you know, but don't go and use it in your life. Don't, don't keep hitting the DMT. And I've had friends that have fallen off the edge. Huge time called me up and said, Ryan, the world's going to end. Like it's coming. Like, I mean, an asteroid is coming. The entities have told me and I'm like, dude, it's not going to happen on this day. And that date comes around and you explain It's not because you can fall off the edge. Yeah. So it's about using the medicine properly and identifying if you're going back to the same realization again and again, the same thing to work on again and again. That's your point where you don't need any more medicine. Hang up the phone, even if it's going to be temporarily. In the early days, I said I'd never hang up the phone, but that was the addict in me. I thought this is my connection to source my connection to self my connection to love but that was just a that was just a grab for power it wasn't a grab for healing and so the entheogens working with them over many years kicked my ass in the end it's like no it's not about power it's about how do you use it now in your life and then you become like um like now i feel like i'm my own source of that it's like i get it I, i get what we're doing here we're the creators of our own reality. We are uh, incarnations of the universe living out our life and um, some people are dealing with a lot more shit than others and and all you can do is do your best and you'll fuck up many, many times. Yeah, I
0: think there's a, guy, a famous guy, well, I guess he's famous in the social world like Aubrey Marcus and he started on it with Joe Rogan mm. and he kind of goes on and on about how he's doing ayahuasca trips every other week. I've I've been on an ayahuasca journey before and I've met other people there as well. That ah, I've done ayahuasca 50 times. It's like do you really need to do it that much? I, I, I haven't connected to that. Um, jumping a bit ahead into that, these guys like these social media influencers that are really pushing these ayahuasca trips and going to places like Coachella and Burning Man and where it becomes this collaborative um, ayahuasca journey with 50 people in a cabin. What are your thoughts on that?
1: It's a money-making machine, for sure. It's a, it's a money-making machine. I'm for it because anything that gets addicts or people that are really suffering to the plant, to the medicines, the people don't matter, in my opinion, in this, unless you're going with proper shamans, you know, in the rainforest. The whole people, the whole setup, I think it's like overly overbearing to me. I've only ever worked with entheogens alone, which, I, which when I've talked in the community is quite unique. Um, I didn't meet many people that have only ever worked alone. Um, but I, I think that if it's getting people the healing that they need, fine. But it's becoming a, a vast commercialization. There's a lot of uproar about it on social media. I think it's all noise. Like in the end, the plants are going to do what the plants do. And the plant is a far superior intelligence than, than a human is. That's why you can have no power over it. A shaman is not a powerful being. It's the plant, in my opinion. Uh, what does he say? Don't trust gurus, trust plants, you know. Um, he, it's, I think that people can look into their options of working alone. And, and I think that there should be some ethical guidelines to do to how much you actually charge for something and how big the group sizes are. But I think we're working that out as a collective. I think it's all being worked out. And I think there are a lot of companies with a lot of interests in this that want to find a way to patent and monetize it. And, and that's going to be interesting to see how, how that turns out and what kind of society is that going to build in 200 years mm. a society where you've got drop-in shops for ayahuasca or five meo dnt like what kind of people what kind of society is that really going to produce
0: it's well it's it's I, that's what i explained to you as well like if i've i've done the hero dose but i was doing it like maybe once a year and i never understood why people would want to do that in a room with anyone else like so you, you go through your own emotions you go through your it's kind of like If you went to a Thai massage parlor to get a real strong Thai massage and all the curtains were open and everyone else is screaming around you and pain as they're driving (laughs) an elbow down your spine. I mean, I don't want you to watch me do that either. It's, that's how I kind of compare it. Um, And now for myself, I've also heard the message. And even the last time I, I did a hero dose on my own, I put the blindfold on and I think 40 minutes or 30 minutes into it, I saw the 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 circus show and everything coming together. And I know the message is coming. And I honestly took the blindfold off and I'm like, I've seen this movie mm-hmm. and I went outside and I just enjoyed a walk instead because there's a certain point where, again, once that message has been delivered, you know, hang up the phone. But kind of back to my point about these social media psychonaut psychonauts that are introducing this to the world it's great they're introducing it to but you're also introducing it to weaker people i find and these weaker people are more susceptible to the message and what is your message and what are you selling and Mm -hmm. that's where i start to question it a bit i always terrence mckenna always said something very interesting about um, psychedelics and especially mushrooms he's like well mushrooms you, you can take and you can connect to your air conditioner if you want <laughs> like, and, and that that becomes very powerful and for someone like myself you're you you're the purpose of why are you taking psilocybin what was my purpose it was always I would get into a negative mind loop in my daily routine it could be something so simple as uh don't order the pizza on Friday don't drink maybe a couple beers on ten beers whatever on the weekend let's get out of that let's not do that this week or Monday, you're going to the gym. You might say Monday, you're going to the gym for six months and never do it. Mm -hmm. What I found psilocybin did for me is I could tell when I got into those negative mind loops. And if I took it on a weekend, it would just break out. And immediately, whatever I told myself to do for four or five months and I never did it, you will do everything that week. Mm -hmm. However, and I tell people this if you don't answer that message on the Monday, you know you won't do it either. Yeah. So you have to immediately take that message and go do that as well. I kind of find my definition, uh, and maybe I heard this somewhere as well. You start to get lost on where the messages are coming from. They might be coming from the Same journey, message. right? <laughs> and I'll, I, I kind of look at it. My analogy is psilocybin is the way that it's communicating with the neurons in your mind. You're, it allows you to go down old ski slopes that you've been down before and you've let the snow build up and now you're maybe on a different path. Mm-hmm. And for me, it blasts open that ski slope and then you just, things click and you go down and you're like, okay, wait, I've been here and I get it. And that's kind of what that message was for me personally. I don't know if that resonates.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and I think that even now these days, if you've had a buildup of stuff, like you were saying, you have those, those thoughts, up loops. I think it's perfectly well, even if you've you've had the message to go back. Like I don't think you have to hang up the phone. I, I think Alan Watts who said that. Um, I think he was actually quite fearful of Theogens. This is just my personal view later in his life because obviously Alan was an alcoholic, and he drank all the all the time. And I think I think that hang up the phone was just a nice a nice. It has it definitely has credit, but I, I think that don't fear, don't be afraid to pick it up again. This is all about balance. It's all about like um, you t- when something helps you to that extent, it can easily become an addiction. You're like, I, I want that feeling again. I want to go back to that unity again. But what we're, trying to, what we're trying to do is have that feeling with you at all times without the use of anything. And that, that requires a lot of lifestyle changes. Like if you're going to drink, you, it's, you're not going to get that feeling because it steals that feeling from you of unity and, um, and, and bliss. So you have to make a choice. In life, what are you going to do to well, I think bring yourself you, into you that?
0: You can hear the phone ringing as well. Meaning for me, I'll question it sometimes. Like, am I am I in that negative mind loop? Am I going to the gym? Well, no, you just went. You did it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll ask myself, should I do psilocybin? If, if you even need to ask yourself that, you probably don't. Mm-hmm. Like it will tell you, Hey, maybe you should go try this It's now. time. It's time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think, well, let's end it on, on that note. I also need a, a bathroom break. Cause we filmed the one before as well. <laughs> so we did a, a, a podcast uh, for the naked guru when I was on it, mostly just talking about mushrooms, which you've all already heard too much of uh, anyways. Um, so as we end the podcast on this note, I'm just going to kick it back to Ryan and this is your camera there. If you can just let everyone know, and we'll leave all links in the description of where they can find you.
1: All right, guys, so you can find me on Life in Bamboo. That's the family channel uh, of our life in rural Thailand, living in a small village in Buriram, uh, or just more of my expat diaries, expat stories, the more informal stuff. I'm on The Naked Guru.
0: Okay, that is, that's it. That wraps up another episode. I never know how to end these. Uh, we're out. Thanks a lot for watching.